6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of Jeremiah, chapters 22 and 23. But now we get to Jehoiakim, which is the one that Pharaoh Necho puts in his place. And we have much to say about him from verse 13 through 19. So um, let's say, verse 13, Woe unto him who buildeth his house by unrighteousness, and his chambers by wrong, who useth his neighbor's service without wages, and giveth him not for his work. Now, uh, who saith, I will build myself a wide house and large chambers, and cutteth out windows, and it is paneled with cedar and painted with vermilion. The point here is he's using forced labor without wages, and that was prohibited by the law of Moses. Okay? And you can find that in Leviticus 19, verse 13. You can find that in Deuteronomy 24, verses 14 and 15, for those of you that want to chase that down. Jehoiakim uh, is essentially emulating Manasseh. Manasseh was the bad guy that we've read about several times in First Kings, uh, or correct, in Second Kings 24. He's the guy that is at least by tradition credited with having Saul and Isaiah in half. Neat guy. And so uh, Jehoiakim is emulating him, who also used forced labor to build his own house, which was, which you know, kings are entitled to do. You know, they have some leverage on the economics. You know. But they are not entitled under the law of Moses to use forced labor without wages. That was uh, uh, prohibited. And so that's what's being, that's the indictment that appears here. Shalt thou reign, verse 15, because thou closet thyself in cedar? Did not thy father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? And then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well with him. Was not this to know me, saith the Lord? He's referring to Josiah. Josiah also had a nice house. He did okay. But he put first ruling the land properly with justice and so forth and knowing the Lord. And he managed all right. That's what the Lord is saying. You're not a king because you live in a house of cedar. You live in a house of cedar because you're king. Be king first. And what he means by that, judge you know, justly and, and uh, 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 with righteousness and um, judges of either the cause of the poor and the needy and so forth. And the rest of this will follow. That's really the, the tone behind this language here. Verse 17, But thine eyes and thine heart are not but for thy covetousness and for shedding innocent blood and for oppression and for violence to do it. Therefore thus saith the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, They shall not lament for him, saying, Ah, my brother, or Ah, my sister. They shall not lament for him, saying, Ah, Lord, or Ah, his glory. He shall be buried with the burial of an ass, drawn and cast forth beyond the gates of Jerusalem. That's as expressive as you can get, King James translation or not. Um, the donkey's burial. You don't mourn for him. Donkey's burial which means he was just cut up and left for the beasts and the birds. 
And you can chase that in Second Chronicles 35 and so forth if you want to go into all that. But now we're at verse 20. And now we're going to deal with a guy by the name of Jehoiah Chin, different guy, Jehoiah Chin, who has another name also called Jeconiah. Jeconiah. And only in this chapter is you'll find the word Coniah, because the J-E, the reference to God in his name, is dropped from the name. You just have the word Coniah. So don't be confused. Without, without some background, you would not pick this up. But Coniah in this chapter refers to Jeconiah, which is another name for Jehoiachin. And a very interesting thing is described here that is not only prophetic, but creates a very, very interesting uh, situation here. Verse 20. Go up to Lebanon and cry out and lift up thy voice in Bashan and cry out from the passes for all thy lovers are destroyed. I spoke unto thee in the prosperity, but thou sayest I will not hear. This hath been thy manner from thy youth, that thou obeyest not my voice. The wind shall eat up all thy shepherds, and thy lovers shall go into captivity. Surely then shalt thou be ashamed and confounded for all thy wickedness. O inhabitant of Lebanon, who makest thy nest in the cedars, how gracious shalt thou be when pangs come upon thee, the pain as of a woman in travail. Now, that's poetic language, of course, but leading up to something here, but how fascinating it is how God's judgments upon Jerusalem or Israel or Judah are always described through the idiom of a woman in travail. None other than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ uses that very expression in Matthew 24, the famous Olivet Discourse, which we reviewed when we were going through Matthew recently. Okay, when we get to verse 24, to the end of this chapter, I recommend you mark it, because I think you're going to find this, a passage of some substantial interest to you. Um, the trick will be to focus on really just the essential history, because there's so much here. As I say, we're going to encounter the word Coniah, the J, Jeconiah, the Jack is removed. It only appears here and in Jeremiah 22, twice, and in Jeremiah 37. It's a, it's a name that the Holy Spirit has reserved for his use in Jeremiah for some special reasons, but you and I, to understand who he's talking about, it's an alternate for Jeconiah, which means the Lord will establish. And the word Lord is removed from his name by calling him a Kaniah. And Jehiah Chin is the way we know him as his throne name throughout the rest of Scripture. And he was the son and successor to Jehiah Kim, the one we just read about. Um, he was this guy is exiled in 597 BC. We'll find you can find his background in 2 Kings 24 and 25. He only reigned actually three months, and then he was put carried off to Babylon uh, in the judgment, and he's there 37 years. So this guy doesn't die right away. You might be interested archaeologically. He is mentioned in the Wittner tablets unearthed in uh, at the Ishtar Gate of Babylon. Ishtar is one of the gods they worshipped and a name after which we have a holiday. So if you want to play Easter Bunny and uh, egg rolls, you're giving acknowledgement to, the, to uh, one of the gods of which there was a gate named in Babylon, Ishtar. I suppose you could call it the Ishtar Bunny, but I won't get into all that. Uh, but the point is, is that uh, Jeconiah is mentioned in these tablets, so it's always kind of interesting to find these echoes in, in secular um, discoveries also. Let's take verse 24. As I live, saith the Lord, though... Coniah, or Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, 
Were the signet upon my right hand, yet would I pluck thee from there. Now, that's kind of an interesting expression. That's also Haggai uses that same figure of speech in chapter 2, verse 23. Um, well, I'll get back to a little more uh, summary. Let's, let's, let, let's read through this. And let, let's, let's read it down through verse... Uh, we'll read, let's read through the passage, and then I'll come back and, and, and tell you some things that you might be find interesting here. Though you were the signet upon my right hand, yet would I pluck thee from there. Verse 25. And I will give thee into the hand of those that seek thy life, and into the hand of those whose face thou fearest, even unto the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. Chaldeans being a synonym for the Babylonians. Chaldea is the general community. Chaldean and uh, Babylonian, you can treat for this purpose as essentially synonyms. Nebuchadrezzar, you may find there, which actually is more technically correct. And it shows up this way in a couple of places. There's some inscriptions that argue that's the proper way. We're so used to seeing the Hebraized version of it, which is Nebuchadnezzar, and I'm not going to try to relearn that. Uh, so we'll just recognize who it is the same guy. So in other words, uh, Jeconiah has got the prophecy here by the Lord that he's going to be handed over to those who seek his life and to those whose face he fears, the Babylonians. Verse 26, And I will cast thee out and thy mother who bore thee into another country where ye were not mourn, and ye shall, and there shall ye die. Where was he not mourn? Where he's going to die? Babylon. He's actually going to be enslaved there 37 years before he finally kicks off. Jehoiachin, his mother, is Nehushta, 2 Kings 24. Um, they would suffer exile, and they die in Babylon um, um, despite. Now, what's going on in the meantime? And one reason there's such a prominent theme of Jeremiah, the false prophets that opposed Jeremiah, we're going to talk more about them shortly, kept promising the people that, uh, that uh, Jeconiah is going to return. But he's there for a while, but the Lord's going to take care of him, and after all, the Lord is fighting on our side, and... So the people had an expectation that Jeconiah would return. That's one reason Zedekiah had such, his uncle had such trouble trying to maintain order. Besides the fact that he was weak, he was also fighting this, uh, you know, crown prince bit and uh, uh, all that time. The false prophets kept inflaming the the hopes of the people, and Jeremiah said, "You're wrong. You got it all backwards. He's in judgment, and not only that, God is going to use the Babylonians to judge you too." And uh, that made him, of course, very popular. Uh, and, of course, he get, the, all this happens with the second deportation, which is also the one that takes away Ezekiel and, and uh, also Mordecai. But uh, let's keep moving here. So these are the prophecies against him. But the Lord goes on to say some things that uh, even goes deeper. Verse 27, But to the land to which they desire to return, there shall they not return. Who's they? Jeconiah and his mother and, and those that are in exile with him. Now, Verse 28 and 29 and 30 are pretty awesome words. Is this man, Coniah, a despised, broken idol? Is he a vessel in which is no pleasure? These are rhetorical questions. They're not asking, this is just a way of expressing those ideas. He's a despised, broken idol. He's a vessel in which there's no pleasure. Why are they cast out, he and his seed, and are cast into a land which they know not? Oh, earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, write this man childless, a man that shall not prosper in his days. For no man of his seed shall prosper, 
sitting upon the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. That's heavy stuff. Now, did he have children? Yes, he did. He actually had um, some seven sons, First Chronicles 3.17 and so forth. None of his sons succeeded him on his throne. No surprise. The Lord uh, knows what he's talking about. Zerubbabel, who was his grandson, is governor of the land when they return from Babylon, but he's not king. And he doesn't sit on the throne of David, technically, but very important to us all for some reasons I'm coming to. Zedekiah, his uncle, is reigning after him, but dies before him. So Zedekiah dies off before, because the Babylonians, you know, take him into slavery too. But uh, uh, Jeconiah outlives him, okay? Now, uh, incidentally, in the Babylonian cuneiform inscriptions, we find that have been found in Babylon, we find a list of Jeconiah and his seven sons. They, they have a list of the oil that was provided to Jeconiah and his seven sons. It's kind of interesting to find these records in there, okay? Why is this so important to you and I? For some very strange reasons. Jeconiah is the last of the Solomonic line. Jeconiah is the last of the Judean kings of the house of David. There aren't any more. And it's even more complicated than that. As we read this more carefully, the Lord says, Write this man childless. Was he childless? No. But it means that his kids are, as for you, it's like being blotted out, okay? A man that shall not prosper in his days. Well, indeed he wasn't. He was in slavery. So far, it just sounds like one of these judgments you read about in the Scripture, greatest prophetic, and it was uh, prophesied. But it says, for no man of his seed shall prosper, sitting upon the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. Well, now there we got a problem. It's my personal belief that when God pronounced this blood curse on Jeconiah, there must have been celebration in the councils of Satan. Why? If you recall, uh, if, you, if you've ever studied Revelation chapter 12, and if you haven't, I encourage you to get the tapes on Revelation 12, what's summarized there, and I won't take the time to go into it tonight, but just for, just for by way of review or, for, or, or as a suggestion if you haven't been through this, there's a history, in effect, of the Bible. The whole Bible summarized in one chapter, but from a strange point of view. In the Garden of Eden, in chapter 3, God declares war on Satan, okay? And uh, I'll put enmity between thy seed and her seed, and it, and it shall bruise thy head, and so forth. The famous prophecy in Genesis 3.15, God declares war on Satan. From that, And that's where he first announces that there will be a deliverer. And the seed of the woman, that title of Jesus Christ, starts from the first prophecy of a Redeemer in Genesis chapter 3, right there in the Garden of Eden. From that point on, Satan is about his business to thwart God's plan of redemption. Shit, since the Redeemer has to come from the seed of the woman, Satan's first attack is on Abel. Now we have the old Cain and Abel thing. You can go from Genesis chapter 3 throughout the entire Scripture and chronicle it as a plot where Satan continually tries to thwart the plan of God. 
And as time goes through the scripture, as God reveals a little more and a little more and a little more about where Jesus Christ is going to come from, that allows Satan to focus his attack. He's going to be from, the, from Abraham. Terrific. Then Abraham faces difficulty from Satan. As it becomes from Isaac rather than Ishmael, Satan is allowed to, in effect, focus his attack. And as it becomes Isaac and from uh, Abram, Isaac, from Jacob, and then from the, from the line of, of the 12 tribes, it's going to come from Judah. And as you watch, as you study your Bible from cover to cover, knowing this, you can always see the, when God reveals where Jesus is coming from, that particular strain becomes under, comes under attack. That's why we have the slaughter of the innocents in, uh, in, uh, under Moses, because he was going to be the deliverer. It didn't take any chances. Uh, as you go through the Scripture again and again and again, you'll find the kings of Judah are slaughtered. You'll find that when the king takes her throne and there's some heirs, some young kids, he tries to get them all killed. And, they, and more than once, you'll find one of the heirs tucked away and hidden by somebody. And in the plot, you know, Satan again and again is trying to cut off the royal line. And that's what leads to the slaughter of the babes in Bethlehem. That's satanic. It's, and, if you, and if you wonder why Satan is so aggressive in his anti-Semitic form of persecution. It has much more than just uh, racial prejudice. It's satanic in the sense that that holds the key to God fulfilling his promises, even today. And that's an, we'll get into that before we're through the book of Jeremiah. But here now, we know that God, God has promised that the Messiah is going to sit on the throne of David. He is going to be the, of the house and lineage of David. That's part of the prophecies. That's one of the promises given to David. David wanted to build the house, uh, the, the, the temple. God says, David, you can't do that. We'll let you. You're a man of war. We'll let you do it. Your son Solomon will build the temple. But I'm going to build you a house. And he gives him a prophecy, not about a, house, a physical house house, but of the, that the Messiah will be of the house and lineage of David. That's his reward for being a man after God's own heart. So we have all these promises. Now, God gets exasperated with Jeconiah and pronounces this curse, the one that's here in Jeremiah uh, 22. Write this man childless, a man that need not prosper, that will, shall not prosper in his days, a man, no man of his seed shall prosper, sitting upon the throne of David and ruling anymore in Judah. A blood curse on Jeconiah. And I can visualize in my own imagination, I don't have scripture for this, I just visualize Satan and his counselors rejoicing. Boy, God has done it this time. He's got himself trapped. Catch 22. The Messiah has to come from the house of David, and yet he's just put a blood curse on the line of Jeconiah. Terrific. Let's look at a dimension to genealogies. Every Christmas we worship, we praise God for the birth of Jesus Christ. And every Christmas we probably read the story in Matthew and in Luke. And most of us may miss some key points. In the interest of time, I won't dig all this up. You guys will remember. You guys and gals will remember that when the Holy Spirit comes upon Mary, he promises her that her child will sit on the throne of David. That's pretty exciting. If she had done her homework in Jeremiah, she might wonder how he's going to pull that off. Okay? There's only one way he can do it with a virgin birth. 
That's the only way he can do it, is with a virgin birth. I'm not suggesting that the virgin birth is because of the blood curse. There's lots of other reasons why a virgin birth was in God's mind. Because he said that back in Genesis. Because he speaks of the Messiah as the seed of the woman. That phrase in Hebrew implies Genesis, i.e. no male sperm. It's the seed of the woman. And so that's hidden even in the, in the structure of the Hebrew. In Genesis, he knows the end from the beginning, and when he pronounces this blood curse on Jeconiah, probably in the privacy of his own counsel, God can chuckle because Satan can't figure this out. He's got a surprise coming, okay? Now, what am I talking about? Turn to Matthew chapter 1. You all, when you get the, when you open your New Testament, you're as a new Christian, you start reading Matthew, many, many of your friends say, well, skip the first 18 verses because you don't want to really wade through that genealogy. And it may be good advice for someone who's first getting acquainted with the Scripture. But Matthew is a Levi. And I'm just going to do a little review. We've covered some of this when we studied Matthew, but I'm going to just re review it for those of you that, for whom this might be uh, new material. Gen uh, for Matthew chapter 1, it starts out that Matthew's a Levi, a Jew. He's anxious to prove that Jesus Christ was the Mashiach of Israel, had legal title to the throne of David. He starts, as any Jew would, from Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begot Judah and his brethren, Judah begot Perez, and so forth. And he goes right on through the genealogy. There's some very interesting people in this genealogy. Contrary to most Jews of Jewish genealogy, there's four women in here. There's Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba and, and so on. He even gets down into verse 11. He says, Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brethren about the time that they were carried away into Babylon. And after they are brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot she did. It goes on. Jeconiah has offspring, right? And he finally gets down here to uh, verse uh, 16. And Jacob begot Joseph, who was the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. What's his point? That the offspring, that, that Joseph's legal son had legal title to the throne of David. Now, when we go back here, you'll notice, uh, I forgot to point another thing. When you get here to verse 6, Jesse begot David, the king, and David be the king begot Solomon of her that had become the wife of Jeriah. In other words, Solomon was born of Bathsheba. The first child died, but the second child, the first born, you know, one that lived was, was Solomon, and Solomon was the king, right? So the Solomonic line goes, goes from Abraham through David, through Solomon, down through all these kings, Hezekiah, and so forth, and uh, good ones and bad ones, mostly bad ones, and finally, uh, through Jeconiah, down through Jacob, who begot Joseph, who was the husband of Mary, and so forth. The legal title of Jesus Christ, making him legally eligible for the throne of David, through uh, Joseph. That's all pretty interesting. That's fine. When we get to Luke, we'll skip ahead to look at Luke. Now, Luke was not, uh, you know, preoccupied with all of this. Luke was a physician. He was interested in Jesus Christ's humanity. He really didn't have a lot of focus on the Jewishness that Matthew emphasizes. And we find he doesn't open his gospel with a genealogy, but he does include one in chapter 3. Now, uh, Luke happens to go backwards. He starts and goes backwards. I want to skip to the end of it so because we're, we're familiar with going from the top down. He ends at verse, at verse 38... He ends where you and I might begin. He doesn't start with Abraham because Luke's not interested in Jewishness. He's interested in his humanity, and he starts with the first man, Adam. 
He describes Adam as a son of God. He is in a different sense. And if we read backwards, if you will, Adam and then Seth and Enos, and if you read the genealogy starting with uh, verse 38 of chapter 3 and go backwards to, to you do it the way you, you, know, you and I think, I think most of us think top down. So you go through from Adam, and he gives you the whole genealogy through Genesis. And uh, as you uh, go through all this stuff, you'll find that he gets to Abraham in verse 34 and down to through uh, Perez and so on, 33, 32. Uh, he gets to... Um, Verse 31, we have David, and the son of David that Luke focuses on is not Solomon, but Nathan. So if you were plotting this, Luke starts not with Abraham, but Adam, takes it all the way through Abram, and from Abraham down through David, you'll find them essentially the same. When, you, when he gets to Solomon, though, he takes a turn. He doesn't go through Solomon. He goes through Nathan. And then he go, and you follow that through, and he ends up giving you the genealogy, because from David on, his genealogy is different. There's a couple of names that sound the same, but they're in different generations or coincidences. Different genealogy from David on. Matthew takes the regal line through Solomon on, through Jeconiah, the blood curse, to Joseph. Luke takes it through the natural line, because where he's headed is Mary. And what you have here is the genealogy of Mary because uh, he was the son of Heli, and, and, uh, and, and in the language here, and you have to get into the background, you'll discover that what we really have here is that, see, it was Joseph who was the son-in-law, and it, it's the, the whole idea is that Heli, he was the father of Mary. And so we have here the genealogy, um, the natural genealogy. Now when we go back, if we took the trouble to read the promise that God gave David, you'll discover that he says, I will give you, a, I will the Messiah will be of the house and lineage of David. And when you read that, you and I think that's a pun or a tautology or two equivalent words for the same thing. They're not quite the same thing. Jesus Christ is of the house of David, legally entitled to the throne. He's also of the lineage of David, but by a different path. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Jeremiah. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android app store and search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.